General George Patton once said that moral courage is the most valuable and most absent characteristic in men. And I think it's really telling because he was an absolute war hero, right? An army legend. So today, this is a solo episode with just me, one that I was very passionate about, one that I was very excited to record, where I talk about the need moral courage to have bravery, to have fortitude in this spiritual life so that we can truly be the lights in the world that God is calling us to be. So I hope it inspires you today to continue to fight hard, to pursue personal holiness, and then to also be the type of person who's willing to go out and make disciples of all nations. God bless. Fight hard. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. lead others and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Super pumped to, to be with you today and have the opportunity to speak with you. And so what I've really been thinking about a lot recently is uh, a quote from this book called It Is Right and Just by Dr. Scott Hahn. And the quote that really stuck out to me from that book is a quote from Cicero, the old ancient, ancient philosopher, right? He lived a long, long time ago. But he had this great quote that says, there is no distinction between doing what is right and doing what is advantageous. There is no distinction between doing what is right and doing what is advantageous. And I just love that because I think it's incredibly relevant for our time, right? And I've been thinking about it a lot recently because Emily and I obviously are uh, moving to Denver and we are uh, apartment hunting, you know, and I know a lot of people have asked whether or not we're going to live together before marriage and even thinking about like, I mean, I had to buy hotel rooms uh, for an upcoming wedding and, you know, it's, I mean, constantly inconvenient, right? Financially and, and people who um, don't cohabitate or don't sleep together before marriage, uh, know this. It's very financially not helpful, right? And I think that this is, this, is the, this is the most practical experience that I've had recently where I've had to decide between what the world would argue doing what is right or doing what is advantageous, you know? And I think it's such an interesting thing to, to just kind of think about, right? And there's a lot of different uh, circumstances that it can apply to, but this one was just the most recent in my mind. And so it really made me think about it. And I've just had to make this decision so many times recently um, that it has been, yeah, just super on my heart, super on my mind. And so 
one thing I think is important to share in that, and I, I like to share this at any time, and this isn't going to be about cohabitation. It's really about that philosophy of life. Um, but I've made the wrong decision in that many times, right? Especially out of the desire to do what is quote unquote advantageous. And I think that's what gets most people, right? So most people who are raised Catholic and understand this can apply to abortion. This can apply to masturbation. This applies to uh, same-sex attraction. Sometimes it applies to fornication. Sometimes it applies to all these different things, right? Do I do what is right? Or do I do what's advantageous? I mean, it can apply to stealing. It can apply to uh, lying on uh, your resume, lying in job interviews. It can apply to all different types of things, right? Do I do what is right or I do what is advantageous? Really? I mean, how many times, if you think of your last confession, or if you probably need to go to confession right now, I probably need to go to confession right now. When you think about any of your sins, right? Most of them are, are the devil is often trying to convince us through our temptations to do what is worldly advantageous. And so I think it's, there's a few things that are really, really important in understanding this and understanding the difference, right? And so First, let's talk about what is Cicero talking about? What does he mean by that? That there's no distinction between doing what is right and doing what is advantageous. Well, he means that he believes in morality, right? As most philosophers do. He believes in a right and wrong. He also probably believes that that right and wrong, uh, you know, you making decisions based on right and wrong will contribute or detract from the virtue with which you live your life. And I don't know what his full, you know, religious beliefs are, but us as Christians believe that your decisions on right and wrong are you choosing or rejecting God in each decision that you make. Every decision that we make, we're moving closer to or further away from God. And we all sin, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that, and we know that inherently. But we're still called to strive to make the right decision more often than not. You know, I often use... Um, I often use like uh, baseball and basketball as analogies in this. And so what I mean by that is in, in baseball, it's really good to hit 300, right? So that means you hit, you hit on base, uh, at least you get a hit roughly 30% of your at-bats, three out of 10 times. Now, if you shot three out of 10 from the free throw line in basketball, that would be trash, right? So a lot of times our statistics and things that we use as, as what's a good scale of how well I'm doing we use, we like to use baseball statistics, right? Cause we look at people who are awful. We always want to compare ourselves. If we're trying to feel better about ourselves or justify our decisions or our positions in life, we just look at how bad other people are. So a lot of times we get into this, this pit of comparison, right? And I'll say, well, at least I'm not that person. You know, at least I'm not as bad as this person. I'm not as bad as, as what they do or what, you know, how they live their lives. And if you're anything like me, you can also do this with yourself. You can also look at how awful you used to live your life and be like, well, at least I'm not still doing that. Right? You can look and say, at least, you know, I might still be sitting here and there. I might still, whatever it is, be watching pornography, still uh, hooking up with people or whatever. But at least I'm not doing it as much as I used to. Or at least I'm not lying and awful. And at least I go to church now. Right? We have this like at least mentality of like that we're able to justify our actions and our bad decisions by just saying, well, at least I do this. At least I don't do that. And it's really pretty foolish, right? And the reason why we talk about seeking excellence and what we try to do here, especially spiritually, but in all the categories, is to give ourselves a standard to seek after, a standard to live by, a standard to shoot for. And we have to recognize that we're going to fall short of that. But I don't want you to take a loser mentality 
to approaching excellence in your life, right? A loser mentality that says, yeah, no, I'm not reaching my dreams or hitting my goals, but it's okay. At least I'm still better than this other turd, right? Like that's how we often look and we'll be like, at least I'm not Hitler. And it's like, bro, that's who you're comparing yourself to? No, it's dumb. Like, I want you to take a, a Mamba mentality to this, a Kobe Bryant, a Michael Jordan mentality, right? Where you're almost obsessed with excellence. You're obsessed with excellence in all these different areas of your life, right? Like not overly obsessed in your profession to the fact that, to the point that you're neglecting your marriage or your kids or your significant other or your spiritual life, you know, and not overly quote unquote obsessed with your spiritual life to where you're neglecting being a good steward with your finances, right? And we, we go overboard in all these different areas all the time but truly obsessed with excellence, well-rounded excellence. So we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people, right? And that's, I mean, hugely important. We know that, uh, but we still do it all the time. And so that's one of the biggest ways that we can kind of get into this, uh, what's advantageous, what's, what's right, okay? And so I think when we do that, the other thing that we do is we compare ourselves to worldly people. And people that we ought not to be looking up to in the first place. And we start to say, you know, what is everybody else doing? That's how, I mean, I hear this all the time from people who will say, yeah, my, my girlfriend's parents are against us living together, but it's just because they're old, they're old school. She's really old fashioned or whatever. And the problem with that parent most of the time is they can't actually articulate, articulate why they think it's right or wrong to cohabitate before marriage, right? And they often make compromises on, on other things along the way. Right. So a parent might say, well, I just don't think you should live together before you get married. But like, uh, like, we'll understand and accept the fact that like, they're having sex together before marriage. And so we, we make a lot of concessions, right? We make a lot of compromises. And that's just not attractive to anybody. So a lukewarm faith is not attractive to anyone. And it, it a faith that's constantly compromising. I mean, this is why you see the decrease in all these churches these Catholic churches who are super, um, who strive to be super liberal and woke and all these things, like they dwindle. And, and the only people that go there are old liberal people. But do you see that the churches that are growing and they're growing at rapid rates are your traditional Orthodox churches. And there's a reason for that. It's because people want bold truth. We don't want some seasoned, watered down, fake version of the truth, some relativistic truth, right? The world gives us that. So if you're going to live amongst the world, I always tell people, I'm like, man, the worst place to be in a lot of ways is, is that is that in between. It's miserable because you're not letting yourself fully live as the world tells you you'll live, but you're also only, you know, dabbling in this, this God and religion stuff. And so you're really not, you know, immersing yourself in either one. And so you have these like restrictions on yourself where you're restricting God in your life, but you're also restricting your pursuit of pleasure and worldly goods. And it's like, Dude, just go all in to one or the other, you know, just go all in. Cause at least if you go all in, you'll be able to decide which one you want, but you truly can't have both. And you're never going to know which one you want. And eventually you not deciding is deciding. And so we talk about that a lot, but going back to just the basics of Cicero's philosophy here to do what is right is to do what is advantageous because we're not made for this world because this world is not our home. This world is not it for us. This world is not all that we have. We know that. We know that there's an eternal judgment coming. We know that Jesus Christ is going to return back to earth. And then when we die, we will see God face to face. And we'll be judged for our decisions and our actions, our thoughts, our words, our beliefs here on this earth. And so all of that is really important. And that means that we have to 
seek to do what is right, not what the world tells us is beneficial, not what the world tells us is good for us, right? How often do you hear people say to you, do, do whatever's best for you, right? You probably get told that all the time, do whatever's best for you. And at sometimes it can be pointless, right? Like whether it's not to go to hang out with friends or whether it's not to, you know, whatever kind of ice cream you want or wherever you're going to, you know, some of these like smaller decisions, right, are, are truly kind of pointless. They could have, you know, compounding effects all the time if you're eating ice cream every single day or if you're whatever, you know, over drinking or whatever it might be or, or wasting your time um, too often, you know, with, with play or fun stuff and not actually handling your responsibilities. But in and of themselves, some, some decisions can be silly and pointless. But so many of the decisions that we make are actually really important. And our mindset, the mantra of the world is just do whatever's best for you. And the, the ironic part in that is that a lot of times they're implying that you can do things that aren't what's best for you. You know, and, and, and what I mean by that is I used to say this about parents all the time. And I think this is so true for our generation. I always say that we have a lot of parents, of uh, people of my, my generation, right? So parents of people ages 15 to 35, let's say, who want what's best for you, but don't know what's best for you. Right? I've experienced this a lot of times in my own life, not even just with parents, but with uh, different family members or friends or people who wanted to mentor me in the army or other places in my life where people might, and they might genuinely, like genuinely want what's best for you, but not know what's best for you. And so a lot of those decisions that I was saying earlier are, you know, a realm where people get all kinds of guidance and there's all these different decisions and influences in your life that are trying to convince you to make one decision or the other. And they might just not know what's best for you, right? Do I think that there are certain family members or people in my life who want me to be financially successful, but don't know how to guide me to financial success? Absolutely. Is the same true for marriage? Yes. Is the same true for a spiritual life? Yes. So that's why I always talk about you have to be careful who you're taking advice from because there's a lot of people who want what's best for you, but don't know what's best for you. And we can even be that for ourselves sometimes. So when you say do what's best for you, I also think that that applies uh, to what we're talking about. There is no difference between doing what's best for you and doing what's right. But it's a different mindset to say, I just want to do the right thing as opposed to doing what's best for me, right? Because doing what's best for me implies a sense of entitlement and selfish motivations. And so then you, when you get into these selfish motivations, you can start to think more emotionally, you can start to think more manipulatively, start to think more of just like, how does this affect me and me alone? When especially as you grow to being more and more of a leader of influence in other people's lives, as you are influential in your job, you're influential in your ministry, you're influential in your relationship, you have to start thinking not solely in regards to how decisions affect other people, but you have to take that into consideration and do what's right by other people, by God, and by you. And when you do what's right in loving God and loving other people, you're going to do what's best for you. But we, we lose sight of this like eternal reality of our lives and the long distance. You know, I, I often talk about playing the long game in life and nobody wants to do that, right? We, we all, always hear self-help people talking about how we have a microwave mentality in America today. And that's so true. And so that's how we get to thinking about what's best for us. We only think about what's best for me right now. Almost every time you sin, I'd be, I'd be willing to almost guarantee that every time you sin, you're thinking about what's best for me right now, not what's best long-term, right? And Jordan Peterson, even like some more secular people will talk about this, right? So he always says, tell the truth. Like one of his 12 rules for life is tell the truth or at least don't lie, right? And it takes 
a an actual prudence and temperance, fortitude, and a sense of justice, right? All cardinal virtues, to be honest. Because it can be hard to be honest in certain circumstances, in certain situations. But we have to have that mentality of deciding ahead of time that I'm an honest person. And therefore, even when I get into sticky situations or difficult moments, I'm going to tell the truth. And so that brings us to, to the other thing that I really want to talk about. Another thing that I want to talk about is, is deciding ahead of time. So a lot of times in those decisions, right? Like, like I was talking about earlier with Emily of we were moving to Denver and uh, going to traveling and things like that together, right? And it's like, do we buy one hotel room, two hotel rooms, whatever? We're, we already, you have to decide ahead of time, not before you get financially tight, not before you get emotionally attached, not before you get whatever, you decide all this stuff ahead of time and then you make decisions accordingly. But a lot of people are figuring out their morality as they go. So they're trying to build the car, their morality as they drive it. And guess what? Believe it or not, if you do that, you're willing to compromise a lot. And you're willing to do what you think is advantageous, thinking that it's right. So there's a lot of people who are really stuck and entrenched in a lot of decisions that they've made in their lives that are saying, no, I agree with you, Nathan. I agree with Cicero. There is no distinction between doing what is right and advantageous. But what I'm doing is both right and advantageous, right? And they're, they're talking about a sin or something that we ought not do, right? And these things aren't even just sins. But even if you think about excellence in all these other areas, right? Like how, how many times do we skip the gym because we think, oh, I just need a rest day? You know, how many times do we, do we say, uh, do we take, you know, food that we don't need to eat because we say, you know, I just, I, it's really going to help me emotionally today. We justify all types of, of mediocre decisions, right? Not helping out our friends, being bad friends, being bad boyfriend or girlfriend, being, you know, not pursuing your spouse in the right way, not loving your spouse in the right way. Um, financial decisions. How many financial decisions do we say, I deserve this, but you're not saving and you're not tithing and you're not, um, you know, giving to your 401k, or your IRA. We make all types of decisions like this and we justify them because we don't have our morality, our philosophies our principles figured out ahead of time. And so this is what I'm talking about is that if you don't fully form yourself to start to understand what is right and just, you know, we say that in mass, it is right and just. And that's the title of the book that I got this from. If you don't start to think about what, and I, t I 12 out of 10 recommend that book, by the way. But if you don't take time to stop and think, what is right? What is just? What do I owe God? How can I respond to God's love by loving him and loving others? How can I honor God in this moment, right? And a lot of chastity speakers will talk about that. Instead of saying, how far can we go? It should be, how can we honor God through our relationship? How can we use our relationship to be an example and a beacon of light to other people? How can I go into this moment, into this experience and be a blessing? Into this party, into this hanging out with friends, into my workplace. We don't think about that. And I, I am one of my favorite, favorite scripture passages. I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but it's from Matthew 5. And it's the light of the world passage, the beginning of, uh, it's right after the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In a similar way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And I love that. I've memorized that. I memorized that eight years ago, I bet. 
and maybe longer. But I memorized it because I loved it so much. And I think that that's what we have to start to realize. I talk about this all the time with you guys, that your decisions don't just affect you, right? Your decisions don't just affect you. And when you're thinking about being a role model, when you're thinking about trying to change things for your family generationally, for your kids and for your nieces and nephews and for your cousins to be an example, the example they need, the example you didn't have. You have to be bold and you have to be all in with that. There's no lukewarmness or mediocrity that's going to allow that to be as effective as you want it to be. And so those decisions, the things you do matter and you're lighting the way for other people. You know, one, one leadership tip I always heard was that people will do half of what you do right and double what you do wrong. And man, if that hasn't proven true in my life, people will do half of what you do right and double what you do wrong. And I noticed that in Bible studies that I've led over the years, all types of leadership positions and things that I've done. I have to be, you have to live beyond reproach. People harp that to me so much when I was in college. I used to get so annoyed with our chaplain, with my ROTC chaplain, with all these different people who just constantly told me, hey, if you're going to speak, if you're going to lead, if you're going to do these things, you have to live beyond reproach. And I just didn't take it to heart enough to really understand that, that principle of what I just said, that people will do half of what you do right and double what you do wrong. Think about how many parents do you know where the dad was lukewarm in the home, in his faith, and he went to mass sometimes or whatever. Like those kids almost guaranteed don't go at all. If the parents were like dabbling in it, the kids almost don't go at all. A lot of times if the parents are super strong, then you might have kids that are like moderately formed and moderately deep in their faith, right? But it's one of these places where you lead by example and you set the example and you show kids how to live their lives. But I'm just so flabbergasted all the time by the incredible lukewarmness to all things excellence that so many people take to their lives. And I'm recording another podcast soon. I just did the research for it today. It's not going to release for like another month or so, but I'm going to talk about the anti-excellence life. Like what's the opposite of excellence and why is seeking excellence so needed in our world today, right? So we're going to talk about that next month, but uh, you know, this recent episode or, or the one that's coming out soon with Father Meyer we talk about don't go back to normal, like all of this stuff is, is what we're talking about. We live in this, this time of just like incredible lukewarmness and mediocrity. And it's so sad because nobody enjoys that. And you can get, you can get by on a short time, a short period of time with living your life in a hot mess. But eventually it shows. And eventually it catches up to you. And I, you know, and it's not trying to, I, I feel like sometimes I get on this stuff where it's like, it seems kind of doom and gloom and bad and scary and sad and all this stuff. But it's like, I really just want people to experience the fullness of life and how nice it is to live a life free of financial stress and, and, and of financial intentionality, right? To live a life of, of being fit and healthy and enjoying that and challenging yourself mentally and physically in the gym, of having strong, virtuous friendships, of having a strong, virtuous relationship with your significant other, of having a deep prayer life and a relationship with God right? And these things ebb and flow in my life all the time. And sometimes some of them are really good. Sometimes some of them are really bad. I fight with my friends. I, I make bad financial decisions. I've, I've gained weight since tearing my Achilles much more than I ever would have liked to. Um, and, and my relationship's not perfect. And you can go back and listen to the Instagram to engagement episodes if you missed those, where Emily lay out all the problems that we've had. But I still know that and, and truly believe in the depths of my heart that living a life of well-rounded excellence where you truly commit to doing what is right in all these different areas of being intentional, of taking extreme ownership in your life 
it is the best way to live. That is my true belief. That's why we do this. There's many people out there who have, who have gotten on board and have believed this. And so I want that for you. But you have to start debating for yourself what is right. Because if, if I can figure out what is right, then I can always do what's best for me and for other people. I can always find what's advantageous because to do what is right, to do what grows me closer to God, to do what gets me closer to heaven, and not just gets me closer to heaven as in like I have to earn heaven as a reward, but as in I'm moving closer to heaven and hell with every decision that I make. As I move closer and further away from God, I'm choosing God or choosing hell for my life every day. When you think about that, then you'll start to know that what is advantageous for you to do. And I don't know how, you know, it's so interesting because you always want people to care, right? And so some people get inspired by the avoidance of hell. Some people are inspired by a living a life of peace and joy and all those things, right? And so many people, including Pope Francis sometimes, say that we need to preach uh, not to just convert people, but to really show the joy of the faith, right? And I, I wholly agree with that. I think we need to be joyful people in order to be a light in the world. How can you be? A, you, you can't be a sad light, right? Like that just doesn't work. <laughs> to be a light in the world, to let your light shine means um, you know, having joy and, and peace and patience and, and kindness and all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But I, I think it's just, it's incredible to me. And even how many people I know that listen to our podcast of how many of us, and I, I've been this person in my life too, for, for certain periods of time and have ebbed and flowed and fallen back into this where it's like, I just, we just don't take things that seriously anymore. Right. And that's why I talk about the importance of your decisions, the importance of who you are. All of these things matter so much because the world is constantly railing against this idea. Right. So the, the world is constantly just talking about you and telling you that, like, you are able to do whatever you want. Nobody can tell you that what you're doing is wrong. We see all kinds of heresies and even apostasies sometimes creeping up in the church where people, you know, fight against the idea of hell or damnation right? And you think about all the things that are pushing in society from transgenderism to same-sex marriage to the popularization of divorce, the popularization of abortion, right? Like all these things that are kind of working against God and the church. The, the underlying principle is that you can do whatever you want and nobody can tell you that it's wrong. You can do whatever you want. Nobody can tell you that it's wrong. And if somebody tells you that it's wrong, it's hatred, it's bigotry, it's awful. But we have to start having the moral courage to, to say that these things are wrong and to live our lives in a way that we can live beyond reproach and actually be an example of what people need to live like or ought to live like, right? Like we need to strive to do what is right. And that's what Cicero and some of these old philosophers and just the ancient Greeks and Romans in a lot of ways, uh, some of them, not all of them, obviously, but some of them really strived for is they said, I want to live a life of virtue. I want to live a life of excellence. That's what Aristotle talked about, right? We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. We have to stop acting like there's a currency to, to being a good person. Like, oh, well, I do this or I do that. You know what I mean? That makes me good while ignoring the, all, the, all the red, right? Like it's, it's like we only, when it comes to being a good person or valuing ourselves or on whether or not we're a good person, we like to look at the deposits, but not the withdrawals right? Like we like to look at all the good things that we do or all the bad things we avoid. But we don't look at the bad things we do or the good things we avoid. If I'm not going to mass, if I'm not praying, if I'm, you know, committed to, to uh, pornography or fornication or cohabitation or supporting abortion or supporting same-sex marriage or supporting all these things, like it's just living an anti-Catholic life. 
and it's living a life that's opposed to God. And that's not good for me or for other people or the people around me. And I need to change that. And you can change that. And it's such a simple thing in some ways to change, to at least change to say, I mean, one of the first steps is just saying like, God, I want to live the way you want me to live. It's a simple prayer. God, you made me to be a man. Help me to be a good one. Help me to see the truth, to seek the truth, to live the truth. Help me to live and follow you each and every day of my life. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be seeking after the Lord. You know, I recorded uh, a speech recently uh, for a competition. And one of the quotes that I found in researching for the speech was a, a quote from General Patton. And General Patton said that moral courage is amongst the most valuable and the most absent characteristics of men. He said it's the most valuable and most absent characteristic in men. And I think that's so interesting and so telling, right? Absolute war hero, George Patton. General Patton was a legend, right? An army legend. And he said of all the virtues, of all the characteristics that he's seen of, of men and women who are willing to lay down their lives and fight to the death on the battlefield, he says that moral courage is the most valuable and the most absent. Think of how telling that is. Think about what a big deal that is that he thinks that that is the most important, most valuable characteristics in, in men and, and not just men, but people, right? Like he, he, he really meant humanity. And, and what is your moral courage like? That's what I think it really is going to come down to because you have to have a certain moral courage. You have to have a spiritual fortitude to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to uh, do what is right, even though it seems like it's disadvantageous even though it seems like it's going to put me at a disadvantage because I know that I'm living on eternal realities. But the other thing that's so big, guys, this is what I'll tell you. The other thing that's so important in this life of excellence is it really helps. I think living a life of excellence almost gives you like a certain sense of insurance against the disadvantages, right? The, so, the so-called disadvantages that living rightly brings up. So what I mean by that is, Think about, so let, like, let's go back to the original example that I gave, right? So making the decision, Emily and I, are we going to live separately? Are we going to, uh, you know, travel when we travel? Are we going to stay in separate places? Whatever. Is there extra work that goes into that? Yes. Is there financial hits that come to that? Yes. But I still know that I have a higher net worth than a lot of people who live together. Why is that? Because when you live a life of intentionality, when you live a life of ownership, you live a life of seeking excellence, you, you don't, I mean, the, the hits don't come to you, right? When you're committed to living a life of mediocrity, as I'm going to talk about, I said next month in the anti-excellence life, I, I didn't realize it till very recently. And this is what I'm going to deep dive in that episode. I didn't realize till very recently how the opposites of excellence and all the different seven pillars are also super tied together, right? They're also very, very correlated. So somebody who's financially unhealthy is often physically unhealthy. They often have poor social views. They often don't go to, um, you know, have poor spiritual lives. They also have bad relationships, right? Like all these things are super correlated. And so the virtue with which you live your life, as I say all the time, discipline in one area leads to discipline in other areas. Either you live a disciplined life or you don't. There's not a lot of people who are disciplined in one or two areas that are disciplined or that aren't disciplined in the other ones, or at least don't exercise more discipline in the other ones than the average person. Now, that does, that does happen for some, but when you start growing more and more and saying, okay, 
I'm going to, I think all of this stuff matters, right? Because that's what happens a lot of times is we're disciplined in the areas that we think matter the most or else we're just not disciplined at all. But what, I, what we try to do with Seeking X is I want to expand the areas of your life that you consider really important. But when you have these things, right? So Emily and I praying together, the things that we do to be intentional with our conflict resolution, all these other areas that we strive to be our best and working out together and reading books together and growing together and planning financially and dreaming together. We do all these other things that this disadvantage, right? Of trying to live our life according to God's life is not a disadvantage at all. Because I see the relationships of other people and I see how miserable and unhappy they are. I know that there's a much lower divorce rate for people who don't live together before marriage. For couples who are faithful to Catholic teaching have a much lower divorce rate. And so it does pay off in the long run. I'm just not thinking of immediate satisfaction and immediate financial hits, right? Just the same thing goes with tithing or with anything else that you could say, oh, well, this isn't going to be helpful. It's like, no, the graces of God. I mean, God, God, he loves, you know, everybody. But God does, you know, in certain ways reward us for our good deeds. And they're not always financial rewards. It's not always material rewards. But like I said before, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You'll hear some crazy stats on that podcast where I talk about the mental health crisis in the United States of America, especially since the start of the pandemic, the divorce rates that we have, the obesity rates and all of these things, right? So like God doesn't always just give us, I'm not saying that I make more money because I do these things, but there is biblical principles that talk about, uh, you know, from the Old Testament where God talks about tithing and giving the first fruits to him and to watch how he will bless your work and bless your life and bless the things that, you've, that you do, right? Everything you put your hand to. And so I think that that's really important to recognize is that I don't, I don't look at these things. It's a, it's a whole mindset shift because I used to look at it and be like, well, I'm just going to save money. So I'll just stay with my girl, right? Like relationships ago. I mean, and, and I'm not talking 10 years ago, right? I'm talking three years ago. There were certain times where I made these decisions two years ago, right? Where I would make poor decisions and, and, and try to do, you know, what was financially beneficial or whatever and make bad decisions. And I ebbed and flowed. I mean, there's times where I crushed it and times where I didn't. But as I matured and as I've grown older, you know, like St. Paul talks about when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. What does it mean to reason like a child? A child's not formed well in what's right and wrong. A child's not thinking 10 years from now, what do I want my marriage to look like? And therefore, what kind of foundation am I going to build for my marriage in my single time, in our dating time, in our engaged time, in the early years of our marriage? A child's not thinking about what kind of children do I want to have? What kind of father or, or mother do I want to be? They're not thinking about 40 years from now, what do I want my legacy to look like financially to my family or professionally? What kind of things do I want to have accomplished? Or what kind of things do I want to bless people with and giving money away? They're not thinking about that. A child's not always thinking about how can I truly be a good friend that's going to help my friends get to heaven and to be saints and to be the best people they can be. A child's not thinking about, well, how do I want my mental health to be a year from now, five years from now? So are you really thinking like an adult or are you reasoning like a child? Do you have the moral courage, the spiritual fortitude to, to do what is right now so that you can reap the benefits of that now or, or five, 10, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, in, in all of eternity? Or are you just trying to do what's best for you right now? What's most gratifying for you right now? What's most emotionally appealing? What's most physically appealing? What ever, you know, fits your desires. God's thinking is way above our thinking. And so we really don't understand how stupid we sound 
when we try to rationalize making what we think is advantageous into what is right. I mean, we look like a child trying to fit a, a square into a, a round hole, a square peg into a round hole, right? Or if you've ever heard a child try to rationalize something that they did that was really dumb, that's how you sound to your heavenly father. <laughs> when we try to rationalize and justify our sins, that's how we sound. And understand that unrepented for sin is like the only sin that is unforgivable, right? To sin against the Holy Spirit, the worst thing we can do is say that a sin is not a sin. And so that's what I think is so important to recognize is that I'm not trying to speak from a place when I talk about all these different sins, I'm not trying to speak from a place of I'm better and like Nathan's figured out this right way, right? That's the one thing that Cicero and uh, Aristotle and all these people didn't have going for them is they didn't have the church. And so if you believe in the church, if you believe in, in the, the four fundamental questions I always talk about, if you believe that God exists, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, if you believe that uh, Jesus died and rose from the dead, right? And you believe in the authority of the Catholic church that Jesus himself founded with St. Peter and with the apostles, then you should believe all these other things, right? Like these are the things that the church has revealed and not just things that the church has kind of like given an opinion on, but this is like doctrinal magisterium. The church has come out and said, this is right. And this is wrong. And, and it's really, really dumb for us to, if to, to go to mass, you know, and receive communion, to say amen, to get married in the church, to have kids get baptized in the church and say, I, you know, repeat these baptismal promises and to commit to raising children in the Catholic faith and to commit to living in the Catholic faith, to professing the Catholic faith, and then to go out and vehemently oppose something that is anti-Catholic, something that the Catholic church teaches. It just doesn't, I mean, there's just no rationality to it. And so I, I you know, what I like, what I'm so grateful for is I don't have to be a Cicero or Socrates trying to figure it all out on my own. Is I'm just sharing the stuff that our faith teaches, right? I'm just sharing things that the Catholic church teaches. And so I don't, I don't try to stand on my own authority. I try to stand on the church's authority. And if there's times where I share things that the, the, you know, wrongly, or I misrepresent the church, like, I mean, God forbid that happen. I truly pray about that before I go to speak, before I come on the podcast. Like if I say things that are against church teaching, like I want to correct those things. I want people to, um, you know, tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that I got it wrong and I will correct it because the church holds the truth. God reveals his, his truth, uh, the truth to us through the church, through revelation. And obviously there's prayer and discernment and things like that. But if you're praying and discerning something and you feel like you have peace about a decision that is contrary to church teaching, you're discerning wrong. That's the bottom line is that we're just, we're, you're discerning wrong. You're not discerning at all. I mean, this, this book that I just finished, you saw me post on social media recently of um, Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke. He talks about that. How God, the Holy Spirit gives us true peace and joy when we're in consolation, but that the devil will manufacture a false sense of peace in us sometimes if we're doing something that is contrary to church teaching and we're justifying it to be right. Like the devil wants you to feel good about that right? It's actually the Holy Spirit that gives you that turmoil, the discomfort in your heart and in your life when you're doing the wrong thing. That's actually the Holy Spirit. And the further and further we drift away from God, the more and more we mute and quiet down that, that the Spirit, the good Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the more power and influence we give to the bad spirits, to the wrong spirits, to the evil spirits, to the evil one, to the enemy. 
And so we have to, we have to be praying about that. And we have to be thinking about that and really decide whether or not you believe in the church. If you believe in church teaching, if you believe in church authority, what could be more important than that? There's no money in the world. There's no friendships in the world. There's no job in the world that's worth your soul. Jesus talks about that. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Or later on in Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus goes on to say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Or if your arm, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter into heaven, missing a limb or an eyeball or a part of your body, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so that's what we have to think about. And it's not just to avoid hell, but it's also to experience life to the fullest here on earth. I'm telling you as somebody, I speak about these things so much because I've done so many of them, right? Haven't committed all the sins, but I've committed a lot of them. And so I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, even the sins I'm struggling with today, I get frustrated with myself sometimes. I'm just like, I don't want to live like that, right? I don't want to be judging people. I don't want to be missing prayer time. I don't want to be doing all these things. And, And yet I still struggle, right? And Romans 7 talks about that struggle in the uphill battle that it is, right? It's often three steps forward, two steps back in the spiritual journey. But are you really set on trying to live out the faith to the best of your ability? You're going to have good days and bad days. There's consolation and desolation. There's ebbs and flows. But it's kind of comes down to really understanding the importance of your decisions, not just for you, but for other people. To understand that every time you sin, you're weakening the church for me. And every time I sin, I'm weakening the church for you. Because when I'm holier, my family's holier, my community's holier, my parish is holier, the church is holier, right? It's so important for us to recognize that your decisions, you matter, your decisions matter. And it's, it's crazy to see, as we'll talk about next month, I know I've referred to this podcast so many times, but it's crazy to see how tied up suicide rates increasing as we get into this world where everything's acceptable and everything's tolerated. Why is suicide still going up? Because your decisions don't matter anymore. If you're preaching to me that my decisions don't matter, that's fun for a time. Go out and do whatever. Sin doesn't exist anymore. Hell doesn't exist. The devil's not real. Like then you, you can really rob life of all purpose. There's nothing worth dying for. There's nothing worth living for. So as soon as I'm sad, what do I have to live for? All I have is me. And when you get to the end of yourself, you realize how dark and ugly that is to live for yourself, to do only what is best for you. It's not fun. And so it is right and just, or not it is right and just, but um, The Discernment of Spirits and Spiritual Warfare by Dan Burke. I just reversed those two, but whatever, you can look it up. And uh, A Church in Chaos and Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, or A Church in Crisis by uh, Ralph Martin and then Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis all talk about this. And it, it, uh, in um, Dan Burke quotes this in his book, the passage from Screwtape Letters where the older tempter is talking to the younger one. And uh, Bob actually quoted this in, uh, am I really a good friend? The, the first episode me and Bob Doherty did together. Where the devil's, uh, the senior tempter is talking to the junior tempter, right? And they're trying to get the subject, the person um, away from God and to eventually go to hell, right? And the one thing that he's like really stressing to the junior tempter, he's like, you all want to be greedy and go for these huge sins, right? You want the Hitlers of the world. And he's like, there's no need to, to push for more for murder if watching television can do the same trick, right? Or if alcohol can do the same trick or if whatever it is, sex, porn, um, so many different things. He's like, you don't have to go for these huge sins. And that's the foolish lie that so many of us believe that I've believed for so long in my life. And I don't want you to be lied to anymore. 
and to believe that it's okay to just look at other people and say, well, at least I'm not that, or at least I'm not this. The devil loves the slow, gradual, calm path to hell. That's why, you know, Jesus talks about this in the gospels. He talks about the narrow path and the wide highway that goes to hell. The narrow path that leads to heaven, that leads to life, and then in the wide highway that leads to destruction. And the devil wants to take us down this casual, gradual path. And, and we just have to start waking people up. You have to have the moral courage to start standing up and expressing your beliefs, expressing the truth, the church's truth to other people in your life. If you care about people in your life, you have to do this, right? I've been faced with many circumstances like this. And sometimes I've been a coward and sometimes I've been a hero. And sometimes being a hero means getting people mad at you and them cussing you out them thinking you're judging them and them thinking you think you're better than them and all these things. And there's ways you're going to learn how to do it in a loving way. There's ways you can do it that are rude, that are judgmental, that are prideful. And you're going to make mistakes. But you need to become an evangelist. In order to become an evangelist and a leader, you have to strive to live beyond reproach, reproach to the best of your ability. And I failed at that. I'm talking to you as somebody who's failed at that time and time again in my life. But I know that my best days are when I'm seeking out to live according to God's plan for my life. Not me rationalizing sin, not me rationalizing where I'm at, not me making excuses for myself and being a coward and saying a bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense and sounding like an idiot, but me genuinely striving to be holy, living to the truth revealed by God through the church, through scripture, through sacred tradition, and trying to be the best that I can be, seeking excellence in all of the seven pillars. That's when I'm really thriving. That's when I'm happiest. That's when I'm living my best. When I'm making those three habits that we talked about last month a priority, reading, praying, exercising regularly, that's when I'm living my best. And so I want you to continue to fight hard. I want you to strive to be your best because I'm telling you that it's worth it. Thank you for tuning in today. It's been a great time uh, getting to talk with you and to, to share some thoughts and reflections with you. Really want to encourage you to go check out the book, It Is Writing Just by Scott Hahn. Check out Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke and A Church in Crisis by Ralph Martin. Also recommend The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. That is also a great read. want to encourage you, if you got to the end of this episode, to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Go and follow us on Instagram at Seeking365. You can follow me at NCrank23. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to go check out our website, thosewhoseek.org. We are only a couple months away from our one-year anniversary this August, and we have some exciting stuff that we're going to be releasing solely through the newsletter that you can sign up for there. Um, and also through our social media, we're going to have some big giveaways coming up and all kinds of exciting stuff coming out that we are preparing for. So I want you to not miss that. If you love the Seeking Excellence podcast, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. It is greatly appreciated. God bless, be your best, and fight hard.